0: Welcome to the episode of 116 of the Fabulously Keto podcast, and today I'm interviewing Geraint Hole, but he said I can call him G because I'm not sure if that's how you say his name properly. Anyway, because in my head it's the French name, and I say Gerant, Gerant. Anyway, he he thought he thought that was quite nice as you're hearing the interview. Um, he first emailed me. He he'd heard me on a podcast previously but then he heard me on the low carb md podcast and he e- emailed me asking about how he might become a coach and how he might um get with the phc and and so i sent him some details and, and one of the things he said in that first email is that he lived round the corner from me not far away a few miles away um So that was really good. And then later on in the year, um, we met in Kestival back in July and he came over and introduced himself. So that was really nice to talk to him. Um, But even since then, we've been on a walk um, and we walked for, I don't know, an hour and a half or something. We were chatting and putting the world to rights. And we do plan to do some more walks. I have just with my taekwondo preparation and swimming, I haven't had many free weekends recently. So when we went on the walk, um, G had 10 kilos of rice in his backpack because I asked him, you know, why and why has he got a backpack? And he said he's got 10 kilos of rice in it. So now if I go for a walk, which I haven't been doing much recently, I must admit, um, I've been putting rice in my backpack. I haven't quite worked up to 10 kilos yet, but there's a few kilos in there. Um we also discussed what's going on in the world and send each other messages almost every day so that we have messages going backwards and forwards. So we've created a great friendship there. Here's some of what G says because he wrote a lot more in his bio, um, but that's on the website page. So if you go to the show notes page, you can see everything he wrote. But I've just pulled out a little bit of it. So he says, I'm 56 and I'm a husband to Louise my rock and my sweetheart. I'm a dad to our two grown-up kids and a granddad, Grampy, to my daughter's four beautiful children. I work as an employment specialist for a mental health charity supporting people with serious and long-term mental health issues to find meaningful and paid employment. I've struggled with my weight since I was in my 20s. I've tried all the main diets, Rosemary Connolly, Low Fat, Slimming World, Weight Watchers, the Cabbage Soup Diet, etc. And I'm sure like you, I had some successes for a few weeks or months, but inevitably they, they or I failed. They weren't sustainable ways of eating and I'd go back to eating my usual diet and the weight would creep back on and I would end up heavier, fatter than I was before the diet. I hated being overweight. I always felt other people were judging me. I hated going clothes shopping and looking at myself in mirrors from a 360 degree angle, front and back views, warts and all. I hated being sweaty all the time especially in summer. I did have a period of success when I went into the fitness industry as a personal trainer and did a lot of activity and exercise and kept my weight at a reasonable level for me for various reasons I stopped training and my life became a car wreck of stress and anxiety and I piled on the pounds again let's go and listen to what he says because he says a lot of this in the interview the sound quality isn't great but hopefully you'll still enjoy the episode Welcome Geraint to the Fabulously keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you with us today. Thank you very much, Jackie.
2: <laughs> and just so you don't have to struggle, you can call me G. Everybody I, calls me G.
0: I can call you G. In my head, you're Geron It's a very nice French name, even though the Welsh might not be very pleased with that.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a lot more uh, exquisite or sort of, uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm used to it. <laughs> we'll stick with G then. That's easy. Yeah, that's good. It's good. <laughs> so, where? Let's start with where in the world you are. Although I know where you are, but uh, so
2: I am in Essex, in sunny Essex, near a uh, market town of Epping.
0: Yeah, just up the road from me. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's how we met because did what did you hear me on Low Carb MD or something?
2: Yeah, I uh, um, I heard you on another podcast. I can't remember if it was Dan Grease.
0: Oh, Dan uh, as well. Yeah.
2: Uh, last year. And then I heard you again this year on um, the Low Carb NP, and I thought, right, I'm going to contact you um, because I know on the last podcast that you lived nearby and I thought, right, well, I need to cluck up the carriage and contact you and share my story and, you know, the similar sort of thing that I want to use what I've learned to help other people.
0: Yeah, that's fabulous. Um, and And I remember you reaching out and you were sort of tentatively reaching out and it's like... I want to do this, and I just said, "Go for it!" Didn't I? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So um, we met, and we met in person at Kestival.: Yes, we did on a really hot, beautiful day. It was a lovely day. Um, so that's all great. And now, since then, you've become a PhD ambassador as well.
2: Yes, I have. I've uh, plucked up the courage, taken the uh, taken the steps to apply for that. I've gone to uh, the lovely Liz. We ended up talking for a lot longer than the initial half hour, sharing <laughs> yes. recipe ideas and nights out for meals and places to go. And, um, yes, yeah, so I'm looking forward to doing my training and um, becoming involved in the PHC.
0: Yeah, fabulous. So, yeah, Liz was one of our guests oh, quite a while ago now. So, yeah, that's was great. So why don't you start by telling our listeners um, how you got on the journey, what led you to it, and and some of the things that have happened along the way.
2: Yeah, it's been, been, quite a journey. So, um, back at the beginning of 2020, um, I was obese, um, very unwell. I, um, I was suffering from some, um, long-term anxiety and depression. Um, I started some walking therapy with a psychologist. Um, and thankfully she got me out of a very dark place. Um, it took seven or eight months to do that. And along the way, I'd started listening to podcasts. Obviously, 2020, back in March, 2020, we went into lockdown. Mm -hmm. Um, I decided that I needed to get out of the house. I was, I was still working, but I needed to get out of the house. So I started walking and I had lots of podcasts to, uh, accompany me on those, on those walks. Um, and somewhere along the line, I started listening to Iva Cummins, um, the fat emperor. There a lot of stuff about the lockdowns and all of that sort of stuff, but I started to take a deep dive into other interviews that he was doing in relation to the work that he'd done previously about metabolic health, diabetes, all that sort kind of stuff. Um, then as you know, that you listen to one podcast and you listen to a guest and that opens up a door <laughs> into somewhere else and somewhere else and somewhere else. And, um, I found Ali Houston's paleo canteen. Fascinating listening. Uh there was one in particular with uh his one of his ex professors, Ken Strange, I believe the guy's name was, and his story of, of coming out of, you know, uh I believe he had MS, couldn't get out of bed, terrible, you know, sort of loss of memory and all that. And um he found his way into low carb keto carnivore ish kind of diets and resolved all these problem. So uh yeah, as I say, I have been with mental health journey. Um by June or July, I was starting to see hope in my life. Um, and and I, I, uh, the psychologist that I was talking to had put me onto a book called The Happiness Trap by Russ Harris, which is in relation to a the CBT called Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. Um, and a large part of that is, um, around, uh, discovering what is meaningful to you as a person. Yeah. You know, um meditation, not well, not so much meditation, but certainly mindfulness and um, but so that was another little facet of my journey that I started doing the exercises in this book about grounding yourself in the here and now, not thinking so much about past events and future you know stories really um and then, in October of twenty twenty me and my wife were on our way to I believe we were going to Canterbury, and we were listening to a podcast in the park. And we were listening to uh, an anthropologist talking about human diets and what he had discovered, and that he was following essentially a ketogenic, low carb, almost carnival kind of diet, and that's what he was advocating. And I said to said to my wife, "Let's do it. Let's do it." So in late 2020, we decided that we were going to take this journey of low carb. Um, so we got rid of all the bread and pasta and rice out of the house. Um, binned the sugar, binned the flour, all that sort of stuff, the staple stuff that, you know, everybody has in their cupboard.
0: Was, was there Uh, just, was there just the two of you at home?
2: Um, my son and his girlfriend at the time were living with us. um, How did they feel about that? (laughs) They didn't have a choice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I, I was pretty clear in my mind that we needed to, that having that temptation in front of you all the time was not something that I thought was going to be, you know, conducive to us sticking to a low carb lifestyle. Yeah. And I, and I really saw it as a lifestyle change. You know, although, you know, I was at the time I was, um, about 19 and a half stone, you know, very, very overweight, obese technically, and weight loss was a part of my, I, it was, I had other health problems, and um, I knew that this path that I was on, if I carried on this path of eating what I was eating, it wasn't going to end well. You know, I've got family history, uh parents, grandparents, uh, diabetes, obesity. Um, but I thought this has to be a lifestyle change. This is something I want to do. And I think part of that, With also listening to, you know, when, when you listen to academics, researchers, doctors in the medical profession talking about the harms of, of processed foods, it's, it's like, okay, this this isn't just about losing weight. This is about eating well. I'm, I'm now 56. I was 54 at the time. I want to, I want to go into the later stages of my life. You know, being able to do what I need to do, being able to sit and stand off a gear, off the toilet, be able to go for walks and do things. I want to be fit and strong and active into my old age. And if I can do everything I can now,
0: no guarantees. I know that <laughs> life isn't no. like that. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, um, what, so what are some of the things that you were noticing with your health at that time when you were 19 and a half stone?
2: Um, I had terrible arthritis in my feet. Um, I suffered really bad Pantofasciatus Which is you know That pain Like you're walking On board bearing Especially under the Under the heels Of your feet So I'd get back from I'd be okay While I was walking And I'd get back From the walk And sit down And then I'd be able To hardly be able To stand again Because the pain In my feet Would be so bad um, I was having problems With my hand um, Some kind of arthritis Um it was Issues with the Tendon In my hand So my hand Would like during the nights would would clamp up uh so I ended up I'd have to wear splints on my fingers to keep my fingers straight because I'd literally have to straighten my hands and physically, felt like I was breaking my fingers in the morning and straighten them out and get them moving.
0: But that was that just for sleeping in the, the um the splints were just sleeping, yeah.
2: Yeah. Um so there was a lot of things going on every afternoon I felt like I was just like a a Like an old man, I I couldn't stay awake. Five o'clock, I'd have to have a sleep for an hour. Just felt absolutely wiped out. Even if it was a Saturday or a Sunday and I'd, you know, not done anything particularly on those days. I would guess, (laughs) I would guess that I was pre-diabetic. Certainly, you know, a lot of symptoms of uh, metabolic syndrome, you know, sort of stomach, tummy. Yeah. Um, I would imagine my blood pressure would have been shocking
0: um and that's the thing we don't necessarily know we're not no, no we're no. not brought up to look into these metrics that would tell us so yes. if, unless you've got something specifically wrong and you specifically go to the doctor and they do some blood tests and even even at that point you wouldn't necessarily know but if you've no. had some blood tests done you might look back and say yeah i was in a bad way but you
2: don't necessarily know no i kind of wish that i had gone like the docs and said, "Can you give me an MOT? Not told him why or told her why, but just so I've got metrics and the data so that I can look now and say, you know, me too,
0: me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you only know what you know. And I don't know about you, but at the time, I you maybe you've tried you tried to lose weight in the past and hadn't been successful. So yeah I was in the position of, well, nothing else works. Why would this? I you know wasn't really holding out much hope for any different to anything else yeah. I've tried. so why I would not you go and check things
2: yeah. out I mean I, I've struggled with my weights all I would say the majority of my adult life and I've tried every diet along the way you know Rosemary Conley uh, yeah. weight, weight Watchers Slimming World I've even done the cabbage soup bed and I wasn't pleasant um, the smell of the soup bad enough let alone the effects that it had on my digestive system um yeah so i've tried lots of things so my wife my weight my, not my wife my weight has gone up and down um, all, all of my life um and i you know i've always thought well it must be predetermined kind of thing but that can be further from the truth
0: yeah yeah sorry i interrupted you carry on so you were at this point in on october you decided to go on to low carb you'd yeah. emptied out the cupboards Yep, then yep. what happened?
2: This carried on since then, really. Um, so we couldn't have picked in some respects. we we'll think about it, you know, coming into Christmas, into winter, Christmas time. But believably, that Christmas, we didn't let a drop of, uh, Christmas cake, mint pie, chocolate pass our lips. We, it was in the house and we had it because, you know, we've got kids, we've got grandkids, uh, people coming to stay, people coming to visit. But yeah, we weren't tempted. I didn't feel tempted at all. I I just felt so focused and single-minded. And I think the two of us, because we're doing it together, we are that, we're that backup of each other. You know, you're that support for each other. And I think that's a that's, for me was uh, that's been a really key part of the journey for the last two years is that we're in this together. And yeah. we're doing it together. And we um, you know, I, I I'll hear a podcast and I'll say to Louise, "Oh, you can't believe that." It's this or this, can you believe this, or let's try this um and so she then will listen to podcasts with me and buys into um you know what I've got to say um I should also say that I have got a background in um fitness and nutrition, and I'm a qualified personal trainer um uh, which it's back in nineteen ninety nine two thousand but she does trust me <laughs> you know i've I've studied nutrition, so i've got a, a fairly good rudimentary understanding of, of human nutrition yeah. um but i've learned a lot over the last two years you know i of putting that dive into listening to lots of academic
0: yeah i think that's wonderful that you can do it together that you both started together you've both carried on together because like you said it's that support but it's also somebody to talk to about it and you know my our podcast guest louise her and her husband have done it together so her and i yeah. do it together and um and i think that is great i quite often feel quite isolated and lonely of course there's facebook groups and things like that but at home is very different and i'm sure that there's plenty of people that are in the same position as me and so therefore not being able to take the stuff out of the house you then have to carve out your little space of cupboard space. That's yours. So you're not going to that cupboard with all the other stuff in it. Um, So, and I now have my, I have a whole cupboard of my stuff now, Yeah. but, and I I don't really need that much, but I do have a few bits in there, but so I don't have to go to the main cupboard that's got the biscuits or got the cakes in or things like that. That's, that stuff doesn't bother me anymore.
2: Yeah yeah it is it is having that stuff around i mean it's crept back into the house uh, more lately because um my son is um you know it's his choice he you know and i'm fine with that he wants to eat you know pasta or bread but it doesn't bother me i don't i don't look at it now at all and actually i look at it now and think why did i ever eat that
0: yeah well you know it was, it was nice we didn't know the damage it was doing
2: no, exactly. Um, you know, and, and more recently, I, I, um, when we were at a festival up in Northampton, me and, um, my wife we stayed overnight and we went to a, a really lovely Turkish restaurant in Wellingborough. And unfortunately, they brought up these lovely little puffed up flatbreads and the smell was just, it, it just triggers that, you know, the pathways in the brain. And we both said, oh, come on, let's, you know, we've been doing this for nearly two years. Let's just, just have a little piece, it's not going to be too bad. The digestive problems, it just felt like a hand grenade went off in my stomach, and I thought, that's the answer. Yeah. That you know, um, what's the point? Yes, the short-term pleasure of eating it and tasting it might be there, but the long-term harm you know, it's uh, it would be a salutary lesson.
0: Yeah, especially if you get some immediate feedback, which is quite good, because then you know you just can't have it. You can't have it. Yeah. Whereas I could have that flatbread, and I wouldn't get a digestive issue. Therefore, it's more m- the mental attitude of yeah. oh, I can't have, I can't keep having that. You know, an occasional time won't hurt, but I don't get the the physical feedback of saying no, you can't eat that. So, yeah. I think it's quite good that you get a feed one, a feedback and two that it's quite immediate, so you definitely yeah. know that.
2: Yeah. And I wonder whether, you know, because it's almost been two years that you're more sensitive. Um because I I I, well, I was talking to my daughter and my son about it and I said I think it might not have been as severe a couple of years ago but I'm I bet that that reaction would have still been there to some degree, but I would have just thought, well, that's kind of normal. It's accepted that you you have some kind of, you know, irritation or whatever. I wouldn't say that I've necessarily had IBS, but that kind of like reaction in in the digestive system must have been there, but I wouldn't have paid attention to it.
0: Yeah, you wouldn't notice it and you wouldn't have thought about it possibly being food. So what what benefits, when did you start to notice some of the benefits and what were they? Certainly the... It's
2: hard to sort of describe to people, isn't it, the clarity of mind that you get yeah, you know the the brain fog just just going and and having this feeling inside your brain of just wanting to like being alive, and you know it's like crystal clear, you know going through looking through like a frosted piece of glass and someone taking that away, and it's like, oh my God, everything's so crystal clear and this sharpness in your brain um sleeping in the afternoon that that could sort of pretty quickly disappeared um and then all of a sudden you start to have like you body, you start realizing that it wants you to move around and it wants you to lift heavy things and do things <laughs> so you know um my walking became more serious you know I'd, I'd go for a walk and then i'd put myself a rucksack and 10 kilos of rice in it and i would go off marching around the countryside in being forest and essex you know like this madman <laughs> um, it's a good use
0: of rice though it's
2: the only use of rice <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and then i you know i i bought myself a set of resistant bands and started doing training at home um and it's it's just grown you know the pain in my feet disappeared i couldn't clench my fists before um the arthritis and the and the tendon Issues, whatever they were, have completely gone. I, I couldn't have closed my fist to punch a punch bag. I couldn't have done it. Um, it felt like I was wearing, you know, really thick, like almost like cricketer's gloves. I couldn't close my fingers, but now I can squeeze my fist as tight as ever. So all of those issues have gone. Yeah. 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 It's just, um, miraculous, really. Um, I talked a little bit about my mental health. I think that it was, I feel best that 2020 was a, a culmination of all these different things that I would put in touch through the NHS uh with somebody that managed to get through to me. She understood me. She connected with me, and she got me to understand and explore my own emotions, and she got me to a good place. She put me in touch with this uh the happiness trap, which led me down the rabbit hole of, uh, mindfulness and then that sparked my interest in buddhism and meditation um i would say i'm spiritual i'm not a religious person but spiritual type of it the original teachings of the buddha are very good. you can see that he was almost a psychologist two and a half thousand years ago what he had to say about life and the pain in life so all of that coming together with at the same time my sort of discovery of I should say rediscovery of the keto diet because I did the Atkins diet back in the early two thousands, but didn't stick with it for I think I did a few months of it. Um but all of them things that you know, the me becoming mentally well again, discovering meditation and mindfulness, and then the diet, the lifestyle. Um, they were for me it's you know, they couldn't have happened at a better time. They all came together. Yeah. Like it was meant like it was meant to be. <laughs>
0: So now, what, what's your weight now, more or less? So, um, I've, I've just hit, I've lost five stone
2: altogether. Fantastic. Um, thank you. Uh, yeah, I've been, I've attoed for about the last four or five months. Um, around, f- I was 14 stone nine. Um, and I, did all right right to give a shout out to somebody who gave give me, um, some. Yeah, why not? So there's a there's a guy down in Wales. Uh, he runs a shop in Neath in South Wales called Keto Pro. His name is Richard Smith. Rich Smith. Um, and I cheered him on another podcast. Um, and so I had a look at his shop, at his company, and signed up for his newsletter. And he invited me along for a free consultation. Um, and he gave me some like some tips. I said, I think it's. I think I need to do this, this, and this. And he said, Yeah, absolutely. Get rid of the double cream. Stop having that in the coffee because you're probably not measuring it, and you're probably having a lot more than you actually think you are um and a few other tips and um yeah, within three weeks I think of of seeing him, I'd lost another five pounds, so I'm now down to fourteen pound four, which is probably lighter than I've been since I was nineteen or twenty <laughs>
0: yeah, fantastic yeah. so tell us a bit about louise how has what has happened to her? the journey
2: yeah so um she's lost two stone yeah
0: probably.
2: yeah um she's yeah very happy um it's uh, been times, and I don't know whether there's there is a difference between men and women and what they do and don't enjoy um eating I'm quite happy as to if you give me scrambled eggs boiled eggs beef burgers I make my own i'm I'm eat, Handy in the kitchen. I'm okay. I make my own beef burgers. I make my own meatballs. I'm happy just eating that. Yeah. And the occasional bit of salad, the occasional, you know, some onion or garlic. Um, but she likes a little bit more variety. Um, uh, but yeah, 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 she's, she's very happy with how she feels with it, you know, sort of. And I think the fact that we're doing something together is good as well. We've been married since 1988 and, you know, we've been. You know, been through uh, life together. So doing something together still after 30 plus years of marriage is, is, is really good. Yeah. yeah. Great. Yeah.
0: Did she have any other what we call non-scale victories? Did she have anything that she noticed improved on the journey as well? It's
2: been difficult. And I, um, I hope she won't mind me sharing, but she's going through the menopause. So mm-hmm. that throws a whole different bunch of problems into the mix as well. You know, that, uh, sort of the effect of the hormones changing the effect on, you know, that what that's having on insulin resistance in your body. And, you know, the night threats, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But like she says, if, if we hadn't have been doing this, you probably would have put a lot of weight on potentially, um, because of the menopause and the effect on the, on the hormone in the body and stuff. So yeah, to be so, boost down lighter than she was and, you know, thinking coming out the other side of menopause that she'd be in a much better position, eating more protein, l- not losing protein, you know, not of having bones becoming weaker and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah.
0: So, so have you created for yourselves a a sort of exercise regime that, that fits in, A, with uh, maintaining the, the bone mass and also just, Doing stuff together that's not just walking. Is there anything else that you're doing? Oh, funnily
2: enough, uh, it's taken a, a, a while.
0: She's not as keen on exercise
2: as me. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I, I've been, I've been sort of, uh, I've played sports and weightlifting, weight training for most of my adult life. There's been periods where I haven't, So it's been a part of my life. My, my dad is a, he's a, he's in his eighties now, but he, he was a weightlifting and bodybuilding coach. Uh, he ran a weightlifting club in South Wales up until probably about seven or eight years ago. He was in his 70s and he was still coaching, you know, uh, coaching people, young young guys. Uh, he, you know, he's coached uh, people that have played for Wales and the British Lions. and his, you know, he's he's really well qualified, knows Olympic weightlifting, the techniques and all that. So I've grown up with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so. But yeah, Louise is, uh, we're, I'm starting training her next week. Ah, fabulous. Yeah. So from next week, we're going to be doing, uh, weightlifting. Oh, not weightlifting, strength training a couple times a week. Um, she's got quite an, uh, an active job. She works in a preschool in our little village. Um, she does two jobs. She looks after a couple of children in Epping three days a week, three evenings a week. So she's very busy. Yeah.
0: Running around after little ones that keeps you on your feet. Absolutely. And actually just moving throughout the day is is great exercise, you know. Yeah. Just keep that body moving. Um, yeah. And I've yeah. You know, I've been using a stand-up desk more. And one thing that I used to do um, up until this week was I would, when we're doing these interviews, I would be sitting down. But I don't know if you can see I'm now standing up. Yeah, yeah. So I started yeah. standing while I'm doing interviews. And I think instead of sitting for that hour and a half, yeah. Now standing, and then, and then I can move my legs and do things while I'm standing up, and you can probably see me bouncing across the sky Yeah, yeah. 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 So my, but just my, my, that constant moving is—you—you you don't, you know—you do have to do some formal exercise, but you—you you just need to not be sitting all the time.
2: Yeah, and I've, I've come to I tend to look at this lifestyle through the and the way that I approach things through an ancestral lens. Like, what, what, what have we evolved to do as human beings? And, you know, when you listen to people talking about hunter gatherer tribes, you know, they're not sprinting around all the time. They're not doing loads of strength training. They spend a lot of time walking around looking for food. And then when they find the food, they'll chase it down and they'll kill it and then they'll eat it. So my, my training is a mix of, um, I do a lot of walking. Um, I've, you know, I last year I signed myself up to do a marathon walk through London in January. I thought I'm not going to get myself to walk in the cold, windy, wet, horrible winter weather end of 2021. And I saw this charity walk, and I thought that's it. I've got, I've never walked that far in my life. I'm, I'm going to have to put together a training program through sort of November, December, and January in order to get myself fit enough to walk 27 miles. Um so that's what I did. I spent, uh, the so Saturday and Sunday for me. I'll get up, you know, six, go and collect my, my meat delivery from my butcher. Mm-hmm. Um, come back, have a quick of coffee. And then, um, I will go off walking for, at the moment, I'm walking for about three or four hours, but i would put up to, you know, by the time I'd sort of, and then was getting ready to do the marathon, I was up to walking 20 miles on a Saturday and maybe 12 on a Sunday. And then during the week, I'll do some body. I'll do two upper body training sessions. Yeah. And that's, that's a mix of um, body weights or press-ups. Uh, like a, one of these um, pull-up bars in the garden. I can't do them.
0: <laughs> no, I've got one as well and I can't do it.
2: <laughs> I hang off it for as long as I can. And I, I can do other exercises on that. And I've got the resistance bands, which I said about earlier in some dumbbells. So, yeah, so Monday and Friday are my upper body. Tuesday, I do legs, I do squats and lunges and other leg exercises. And then Wednesday, I go for a good hour walk. So it's, you know, sort of hour, hour and a half, maybe two hours, absolute max. But I walk as fast as I can for that that time. So you're getting your heart and lungs going. You're not doing the same thing all the time and you don't get bored. Thursdays, that's the night to go and see my granddaughter. Yeah. Have a night off.
0: Yeah you you know i think people think the more you do in terms of exercise the better it is but actually the recovery time and taking time out from doing things is just as important as yeah keeping going more, yeah, I mean, more keeping going in fact
2: yeah i mean when i started i was just doing the walking so i'd literally go out walking every evening after work and i'd go out maybe on the weekends of an afternoon um and i think you know going from being uh doing nothing at all, having a pretty sedentary job. Um and not trained for such a long period of time. It was just good to get out and you know, it, it sort of tied in with the mindfulness, you know, going out and walking in the forest or walking through the fields and seeing the seasons change and you know, smelling the different smells that you can smell and birds and paying attention to what's around you. That was good for me mentally as well as physically. Yeah. And um, and it's just evolved over the last two years.
0: Yeah. Great. And so, how long, when you were walking the 20 miles, how long did that take you? Um, oh, God. Uh, so, it should take about five hours, I
2: guess. It was about, I think it was about four or five hours. And when I did the marathon, I thought, I kind of guessed it was going to take me about, I thought it was going to take me like nine hours. Yeah. But I think because I have got a competitive nature. And on the day, you know, you're walking and walking and walking. And, and I finished it in seven and a half. And I was like, where did that come from? I walked, I was like walking at over four miles an hour for the whole 27 miles. Um, and I've struggled to do it since. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> even, over, even over shorter distances. I think on the day, you know, you, you're sort of involved. There's people around you. You're talking to other people. And I'm, you know. I was I did it for uh, Great Ormond Street to raise money for Great Ormond Street, and um, I had the reasons for why I was doing it in my mind, and it was like whatever pain I was in, I can take that pain.
3: You know, yeah.
2: um, my feet were hurting a lot towards the end, but why? You know, people have edged money. You know, I'm doing it for a reason. You know, pain is that kind of pain is temporary. I know I've you know, I've done lots of endurance stuff in the past, cycling, mountain biking stuff. Um, yeah, it hurts, but you know, um, you get over it. Yeah, push through. Especially so when the, you're doing it, sorry, especially when you're doing it for a good reason. Yeah. yeah.
0: So did you do it fasted or, and did you eat on the journey while you were walking?
2: Mm-hmm. So yes, I, a part of my regime, uh, if I go back to, so when I started the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I I had heard uh, some uh, talks and interviews with Jason Fung um, and a couple of other people, and this this whole notion of of in of time restricted eating more than fasting. Yeah. So when I started this, I didn't go into it, you know, sort of like completely gave off the cliff into it. I'd sort of, apart from getting rid of some of those foods from the house. I thought, I'm going to take my time with this. So I gradually started moving my breakfast later and later in the morning. At the time, I was um, doing some I was doing delivery driving. So I'd take my food with me, um, which I think is a top tip. <laughs> if you're going out, if you're going to work, take your food with you. Um, so, yeah, I'd move my breakfast later and later, so it gets to like half nine, ten. Then the next week it'd be ten, half ten, eleven. And then you get to 11 and you think, well, what's the point of having breakfast? I may as well just eat lunch. Yep. And, and after a few months, that became natural for me. And, and very rarely will I eat anything in the morning. Um, I generally will eat after 12 o'clock lunchtime. Um, yep. I eat, and I eat twice a day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, I had done all of my training walk fasted apart from I'd have a couple of cups of coffee. I might have a little bit of cream in them. And then I'd go off and walk my training walk. So I'd be preparing for that. And on the marathon, the night before, I treated myself to a really expensive, big, fat, juicy ribeye steak. <laughs> and I had some broccoli with loads of garlic on it. Um, and I would not eat then until halfway through the marathon. I got to the halfway point, And it was more out of fear of, do you know that term, bon- bonking? Bonking, yeah. Where you hit the wall. It was more of fear of that. But what if I do and then I can't complete it? Um, but I took my own food with me. I, I'd made some little, um, egg muffins with some, um, chopped up sausage and tomato in the egg muffins. Um, and I made some keto fat on I made my own version of like, um, uh, little, uh, what are the coconut bars called? Coconut chocolate bounties. bounties. Yeah. I made my own keto bounty bars. So I, I'd, I'd, um, got these silicon molds and, um, melted coconut fat, a little bit of double cream. I toasted off some cicatis, uh sugar-free coconut, yep. put them in the moulds, and then melted some dark chocolate on the top. But they were like my little treats. So I had my egg muffins that's halfway, um, coffee, and then carried on, and then I nibbled on these little bungee bars. But to be honest with you, I kind of wish I'd done the whole thing fasted, because I think I could have done. Yeah, probably was- you
0: probably could have done.
2: It's more a psychological thing than a physical thing. Like I've, I've been amazed at how good I feel. I have actually done some two and three day fasts. Um I did a three day fast a couple of weeks back. I wouldn't have said, I wouldn't say personally that it's something I would have wanted to try early on, but now I'm pretty keto adapted. Um I don't think I've got those addiction kind of tendencies to food anymore. I don't, Feel like binging, and I knew I was at the end of the three days. I knew what I was going to do. I was going to drink some bone broth. and make my own bone broth, Mm -hmm. and then I was going to have some food after that. I didn't. I wasn't a fan on having a massive gorge on food after that three days. But during that three days, I carried on with my training regime. So I did my upper body weight training on the Monday, legs on the Tuesday, long hard. uh, Sorry, a hard short walk on the Wednesday, and it's just you know your mind is unbelievable, the power of the brain and the and the body to you know create these ketones which fuel this activity yeah yeah it's amazed me
0: <laughs> yeah and and it's great that you chose to eat you know whilst you were walking, even though you think oh, I wish I'd had not done it now, but at least you chose things and and it probably you know most people when they when they're taking on board fuel on. On these long endurance sports will take on glucose, but you didn 't yeah, you just no. took on fat, mostly fat from, yeah. so yeah. you probably could have done it because you have enough energy in your body to fuel you, so yeah. it was that psychological thing i 'm sure yeah so I, before i I think it was before the walk
2: i'd listened to um, an interview with Dr. Ian Lake, I yep. believe his name is, and he 's a type one diabetic, and they 've yep. done this
0: um Five day, hundred mile, yeah, running, yeah, completely fasting, so a hundred miles in five days with no food. Um, and some, and he's a type one diabetic, and I think there was another type one diabetic amongst the five of them. Yeah,
2: yeah, because when I said to my family, I'm, I'm not going to eat until at least halfway through, and they're like, "You must be mad. You're not going to have like any sugar or anything." And I was like, "He, he doesn't need it. No, nope. like if i if I'm a caveman." 15,000 years ago and I need to go out hunting buffalo and there's nothing in the cupboard, I'm not going to, what am I going to do? I'm going to go out and hunt buffalo (laughs) and your body will make you, will give you all the energy you need. You know, your liver can make the glucose your body needs. Yeah. Your body can use ketones as fuel, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's those lessons that I've learned along the way that, you know, I want to share with other people. That's, you know, one of the things that sort of, um, the book the happiness trap and, and acceptance and commitment therapy is about finding what is meaningful for y- you in life uh, what you want from it from yourself as you know and it was like a that sort of road the Damascus kind of thing to me that i was like i i sort of said to myself well where what what have i done in my life that i've been happiest in terms of work and the happiest time for me that I can think about in more recent decades was when I was working as a personal trainer. Uh, so I was a personal trainer, I was the fitness manager at Epping Sports Centre, and I'd um, done some courses, I'd done the EP um, referral, so exercise referral course. So um, then I went on to do cardiac rehab course. Um I've done um, a speciality course in, in uh, dealing with um, people with obesity, and been that work with those people and, and helping them to achieve uh, the results that they want, and exploring their life choices was so rewarding, so rewarding. And, and looking back on that, and I thought, well, that's what I need to do. That clearly is something that's really important
3: and meaningful to me,
2: and gives me something in my life. You know, and, um, I, I want to use this knowledge that I've gained through like, I don't know, about a million hours of podcasts that I've listened to and yeah. YouTube videos and books that I've read. I want to use that to help other people. And I'm not saying I'm not, you know, you know, that we've got to twist people's arms and, and be sort of puritanical and dogmatic about this way of life. But if someone wants to listen and they would like to try it and they would like someone's help to guide them and coach them and then that's where I see myself in the future yeah
0: Uh, so do you think you you will focus more on coaching as in nutrition coaching or more on the personal training side and we've had we had this conversation at Kestival because I said you know I'm gonna be training to be a personal trainer as well
3: yeah fantastic Uh, yeah
0: I I think that it they go hand in hand. I know. Yes. But what, how do you feel that you will approach it?
2: I think I would approach it through, um, behavior change, lifestyle. Um, yes, you know, my knowledge of, of, exercise physiology and being able to give somebody an exercise program follow and, you know, being able to say, right, we're going to do this for four weeks. And then in four weeks' time, we're going to change it to something else. I've got that knowledge. But the thing that I want to, want to, and, and funnily enough, I was listening to a podcast with Joan Ifland yesterday. who deals, um, has devoted herself to 20 odd years of researching food addiction. Yeah. And that side of things, behavior change is key, I think. Uh, when I was back, when I was personal training and working at Kipping Sports Center, I remember going to, um, a behavior change, um, Uh, workshop, I guess you'd call it. I mean, Cardiff University. And it was, um, fantastic couple of days. And I remember talking to this, um, woman who was there as well. And she was a qualified dietitian. And she said to me, you know, I, I I got my qualification, went to university, thought I was going to change the world because I knew everything there was to know about diet and nutrition. And she said, I've realized, come to the realization, knowing about food and what is you should and shouldn't eat means nothing it's it's the habits the you know how the brain work and she discovered this uh particularly a uh, particular model of of behavior change um a professor from cardiff university together and she said i don't talk about food anymore i just talk to people about habits and behavior change and she said all my consultations now about how do you make changes how do you make the decisions to say you know, it may be that I'm not going to eat bread anymore, but how do you get to that stage through working with the person? You know, how important is that to them? How much do they want to change? How are they going to do it? And supporting those changes.
0: Yeah, and that is the key. That is really the key of doing it because anybody can do a, and I'm doing inverted commas with my hands here, anybody can do a diet for a short period of time. Um. It's how do you make it stick? How yeah. do you take those changes? Now, we know with low carbon keto that when you do make the changes, some of those urges to um, eat certain foods go away. Your hunger is more controlled cool. in a way. Yeah. You yeah, don't yeah. feel as hungry. You don't feel as out of control around food. But what happens when something comes along that you you haven't planned for and how do you deal with that? These are the things that are really important. You know, if you're invited out to dinner, what are you going to do? If you're going to a party, how are you going to cope with that? So it's these changes that we need to navigate. And and I think the key thing which I've found so much easier is because if you eat something off plan, so you go to that party and you had a piece of that birthday cake, if you were on a normal old fashioned diet, you would have gone, oh, that's it. I'm not. I've broken my diet. I'm just going back to what I ate before. Yeah. Whereas this time you don't. You say, "Oh, that probably wasn't a good supportive choice for what I'm trying to achieve." But now, eh, next tomorrow, I'll be better, or the next yeah. meal, I'll be, I'll do it. I'll choose more supportive foods, and yeah. so the whole thing changes.
2: Yeah, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. I think having, um, I think uh, you know at the start having it. Your mindset that if you do go to that party and, and you do, you know, you eat a piece of cake or whatever it might be, that that one evening, that one meal, that one event doesn't make or break a diet. No. It doesn't make or break your lifestyle choices. You know, it's gone. It's finished. Let's move on. Get back on the horse the next day. But, you know, think about what your goals are. What is it that's motivated you to make this life change? Yeah, you know, and well, you know, for me, do I want? Do I want to be that? Not, you know, and nineteen and a half stone is not the heaviest I've been. I have you know, I've been twenty, twenty-one stone in the past. Do I want to be that person that is really? And um, from from a personal point of view, I hated being obese. I hated how it made me feel, social anxiety, what always worrying, judging that I'm you know fat and overweight and all that sort of stuff. Sweating a lot. I don't. <laughs> is a benefit of the keto diet uh, my wife hates me because obviously she's menopausal and she sweats a lot of times and she gets lots of <laughs> lashes um i don't sweat as much yeah. and i feel comfortable in my body but well, who do i want to be do i want to be this person who i am now that i'm comfortable in my skin or do i want to be that person that i was before you know so having that as your mindset and and oh what sort of, i fell off the horse I, I had a piece of cake or I had a you know like I had like yeah.
3: flat,
2: flat <laughs> up in uh, Northamptonshire get back on the horse the next day yeah. you know I, I know now I, I've never in my life felt like I'm in control of my diet and when I say diet I mean what I eat yes I've always it's when I look back it's always been the food has controlled me you know you you get that urge to go and have a biscuit, and then you have 20 or you have a you know you you buy a bag of crisps a family bag of crisps and but before you know you've had that the
0: uh-huh.
2: whole bag. Yeah. That that food, listening to Joan Ifland, is on purpose. It, it controls you because they know it's going to control you. Because if, if you're susceptible to those addictions, then it will control you. Yeah. And for the but, first time in my, my life, I don't feel like food controls me.
0: Yeah. They spend billions and billions creating that bliss point that will yeah. make you want more. And then they create the marketing around it yeah. to. Um, reinforce what's happening yeah and I remember I used to um, I had to drive a lot and so I would take some kettle chips with me thinking well that's better than eating sweets if I haven't had lunch or something and I think oh, I'm just going to have a few but by the time I would got home I'd eaten the whole packet because yes. you just the salt and the the fat yeah makes you want to keep on eating and and even the crunch points that
2: they, yeah. they will put like have people in, in, in a lab with, you know, devices where measuring pain waves. When that, like you say, the bliss point, your opening pathways, your brain is lighting up and firing. And they're like, right, well, that's the right level of salt, sugar and fat and the crunch. And they're right. You, you, you can't just eat one because they know that.
0: Yeah. And, and I think this is what people generally i mean we're in the world where people are are seeing this and understanding it but there are other people out there that just think that the food companies are making food for them to be healthy not thinking about they're making food for them to be sick and they just can't get their head around that concept of they're only there to make money they're Number one role is to make money for the shareholders so that their shareholders can get a return on their investment. That's their their role. It doesn't matter how they do it. They don't care. But they they moved the people from the cigarette industry into the – so the people that were were creating the cigarettes to keep people addicted to cigarettes are now in the food industry creating those foods to keep us addicted. And that's how –
2: I know it's appalling. And it's, I sort of came to this realization probably around the same sort of time I decided to start this lifestyle through listening to, um, like, for example, I'd listen to, um, podcast or YouTube videos with Malcolm Kendrick and Asim al-Hotra talking about cholesterol and, and statin. And then you listen to other people, you know, sort of whistleblowers or, uh, the food industry insiders giving interviews, and the only conclusion you can come to is that food knows and wants. This is my personal opinion. They know and they want to make you sick, and the big farmer are there to pick you up with all of their tablets. Yeah. And the, and these two organisations, maybe this sounds a bit sort of like you know out there for a lot of people, but these two organisations, these two corporations. They're in bed together. Yeah. You know, pharmaceutical companies, why do they own all the big cereal companies?
0: Yeah. Because they want you sick enough to keep needing their medication, but not too sick that you die because that's, you know, they want you to keep going so that you keep needing the medication. Yes. And, yeah, it's very, very, very frustrating.
2: Annoying. Yeah. Yeah, I saw a great interview. um, I've seen um (laughs) <laughs> Dr. Malhotra, um, he's like a hero. Um, I, he gave an interview on GB News a couple of days ago with Mark Stain talking about current events and stuff. And, you know, his talk about, you know, how uh, the pharmaceutical industry sort of twists statistical data to see their narrative, and he's he's analysed stuff. I'm not going to mention current stuff, but he's mentioned, the, you know, the statin, the stuff that they do and it's just you know you think well i'm one of my sort of drivers was right i am going to take control of my life and i'm going to take control of my health yeah i'm not going to rely on anybody else to do it it shouldn't be for the government to look after me and to look after my health i've got my own individual sense and my own individual sort of understanding and i'm going to use that to look after myself
0: yeah i'm with you on that i think yeah and it and it it's so empowering to think that you can do that you know you feel it's again it's that you said earlier on about the mental clarity and how you feel but it's also in your body is what makes me feel good what yeah. is good for me and it and i know i feel good when i can walk faster i can bend down and pick things up that i couldn't do before
3: yeah yeah, and, no, absolutely.
0: And you just feel so different in your body and in your mind. Everything is very different, and I think that's something that somebody can't take away from you, really. No, and
2: you know, it's like these unquantifiable things that you know. For me, I I feel more alive now at fifty six. I did probably at twenty six. Yeah, thirty six for sure. Forty six, absolutely. You know, so I'm getting towards 60. I feel like I just want to take on the world.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd be and like,
2: I'd take, take on life, you know, whatever it's got to throw at me. Yeah. Because yeah. life does throw stuff at you.
0: Yeah. And you feel that you can, and you feel, you know, maybe two years ago, you if something would have happened, you would have felt very differently. And especially if you were in that uh, mental anxiety place. Do you feel that that mental anxiety was perhaps caused by the food you were eating? Um, there's there's been some um <laughs> events in,
2: in my life in our family life which have, have been hard on all of us. Um, so I'm going to be very brave and tell you that my died a few years ago he was um, born with um, a medical, genetic uh condition called. George syndrome. Um,
0: syndrome. Sorry, what syndrome? George. E- I,
2: George Syndrome, yeah. George Syndrome, yeah. Um, so he was born basically without an immune system. Um, and unfortunately, he became unwell, went into Great Ormond Street um, and never came out again. And that's hence my walk to Great Ormond Street. And yeah. Um, um, yeah, I dedicate a lot of stuff, you know, that I do now, uh, because at the because back at the beginning of 2020, I, I couldn't care less whether I had a future or not. I lived without hope, um, that anything good would ever come of my life. And, you know, like I said,
0: when, when did he die? How old, was, how long ago he, and how old was he?
2: He, he was, um, 15 months old. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, that just had a hard, Hard toll, as you can imagine, you know, my, on my daughter and uh, her now husband. And, um, and amazingly, because they, they were effectively living at Great Ormond Street, he was in an isolation room, they became stronger. Um, and now they're married and they have three lovely daughters. Um, they, they are an inspiration to me and Louise of, you know, you can fight through adversity. Um, but yeah, there's been a lot of stuff in, in, I didn't deal with that very well. I haven't dealt with, you know, like my mum died when I was, I think I was about 30 or 32 when my mum died. I didn't deal with that very well at all. And that's when my anxiety started. I wouldn't say it was food, but I don't think my food choices helped. Yeah. Um depression has been something that I would say probably has been with me probably since my teenage if I'm honest. But I definitely think now that I'm not eating grain and cereals, I put it down to that. Obviously, I I was in a good place in 2020 mentally, but I think to have been two years without any depressive symptoms at all, I can only think that's got to be in part to what I don't eat anymore. Yeah. Um, because I've listened to, you know, lots of people. I've gone down that rabbit hole of listening to world experts, you know, researchers, professors talking about the link between celiac disease and mental health, you know, gluten and mental health. Yeah. Um, and for me, all I can talk about is me, N of one. My depression hasn't come back. I still get anxiety, but because I, because I meditate and I use the lessons I've learned from mindfulness and, uh, you know, my other podcasts that I listen to about mental health and well-being, I'm able to sort of partition that. Yeah. And that, I can deal with that anxiety. The anxiety can come along. It's not going to kill me. I'm not afraid of it anymore. Um. I think the fear of fear is, is you know, is a problem, as they say.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm I, not
2: frightened of it anymore.
0: I definitely agree with that. And once you feel that you're, again, you're back in control and you you might not be able to control the circumstances, but you can control how you feel about it. Yeah. It's, like your, I, it's your response, your response ability, your ability to respond that that makes the difference. Yeah. You know, like
2: first initial mentioning you that Mason has died, the, the anxiety, I, I can feel it there. As soon as I know that I'm going to say it, the anxiety comes. Now I've said it to you. I'll never get that again now with you because you know and um, you know I've talked about it Um and yeah yeah so my motivation to sort of walk through the pain of that the last seven miles of that marathon was thinking about what Mason went through in his short little life you know and I'm doing I was doing that for him and that made me feel good.
0: Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry that he's gone. Yeah. It's good uh, that you're using yeah. that to. To help others with your charity stuff, but also to help people just generally improve their health.
2: Yeah, and I, I say to people now that, you know, when, you, when you're when you going through mental health problems, you look back on things that may have, have sort of pushed you along that pathway of mental health difficulties and mental illness. Now I look back on that and I think to myself, if it wasn't for those experiences, I wouldn't be the person that I am today. Yeah. I wouldn't have that empathy and compassion to help other people because I wouldn't be that person. So I can take a positive. Yes, it's a horrible thing to have happened. And I wish, I wish beyond anything, like you, like we could have done anything, you know, to help Alex and Blake keep him and have, you know, done something for the pain that they had gone through. Um, I am the person I am today because I've gone through that and I can use that. I will use that for the rest of my life to help other people.
0: Yeah. Whatever that may be. Yeah. So is there anything else you wanted to tell us about today? Um,
2: no, I can't. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really, uh, it's been really, um, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed talking to you. It's really, uh, I was worried before because I was like, God, why, who's going to want to listen to this or, you know, but, um, you know, am I going to be a worthy kind of person to talk to? You know, and it's funny how you your own mind can play these tricks on you.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that have gone through maybe not the same, but maybe similar stuff. They've gone through anxiety. They've gone through depression. They maybe have lost a child or a, a grandchild like you that can think, well, maybe there is some hope for me. And I think yeah. what your message, overall message is, is a message of hope. And how you're, you know, keep yeah. on going. I've got to keep on going and keep on looking after yeah. myself. Yeah. And I'm sure that we will, you know, I'm hoping that people will contact me because I quite often with podcast guests, people do contact me and said I heard that and it made a an impact on me. Um yeah. so hopefully people will reach out and say, yeah, yeah this made a difference. Yeah. And yeah, um,
2: like you say, people will, you know, they'll go along their own journeys and and there are similarities. And, you know, I haven't got the answers, but that word hope is so powerful. Um, It must have been probably about, I was about five or six months into my um, talking therapy with the psychologist. And by this stage, I was starting to come out of this place I you know I'm a very visual person and I'd cre- for me I'd created a prison in my own brain you know rules of things I could say things I could do things I shouldn't say or shouldn't do you know um and she had started to sort of help me to see out of this and one day we were talking and she, he knew that I was a very visual person in my mind and he said to me what does it feel like what and I said well I said is a." Uh, there's a window I can see out there, like there's a window to look out of. And she said, Well, what do you see? And I, I, I could hardly say the word because I was crying so much. I, and I said the word hope. And that was the first time I'd said that word for, you know, or felt like that for such a long time. It was such a powerful feeling of, wow, I'm actually looking over the wall or around the corner or through the window of this prison. I've and it was almost like a maze within a prison that I would created for myself. I wasn't allowing myself to come out and explore, you know, the emotions, and emotions that you naturally would feel when something that traumatic happened. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, that was a really powerful moment for me. Yeah, say it, saying that word took—I could hardly say it through, you know, the our culture. But happy too. It was a happy tears as well. Yeah, that you know, I was actually looking forward to the rest of my life. Not wishing my life was over.
0: Yeah. And now you're going to help others do the same. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you haven't got any social media or contact or website or anything at the moment. So can we finish off with your three top tips? So,
2: I mean, will be contactable through the PHC once all of that is, you know, I've done the training and um, that's all set up.
0: Yes, I um, have got own I'm, PHC email address. Yes,
2: I, yes, I will, which is really exciting. Um, which will
0: probably be Geraint
2: dot at,
0: at phcuk.co.uk. Yes, yeah. yes, I believe so. Yeah,
2: yeah, That's already said that. So if you know if people do want to email me, that's that's absolutely fine. Um, obviously, I can't give any official PHC advice as yet. I haven't had the official training, but that's in the pipeline. Um, my top three tips, get rid of any foods that are, oh, I don't know, yeah, go, I think getting your mindset right to start with. Yeah. What is, it, what is it you want to achieve? Who do you want to become, you know, um, and tied into that would be identifying the foods that you know are problematic for you. So, you know, if if you know that you can't just have two slices of toast, and I've been this person, slices of toast for breakfast and then eight slices later you think maybe i should stop now mm. especially when it's got jam and peanut butter on it so identify what foods are, are, are triggers for you and that you know are hard and if you can to get rid of them come to a food bank Give them you know go put them in the bin no one should eat them <laughs> yeah um i think the other thing is definitely the uh for me mindfulness and meditation would help you know being able to i, I really misunderstood uh, meditation before I, I thought it was about clearing your mind of all thoughts and you know just peacefully sitting there like a blank canvas and that's not it, that's not it at all it's allowing the thought to come but what it allows me to do and and it's like training It's like if you want to get better at doing squats you've got to do more squats Meditation is the same. If, if you want to meditate, start small. You know, you're not going to go to the gym and lift a hundred kilos. You're going to hurt yourself. So with meditation, start small, do little short bits of breathing. But what it allows me to do, and I think it allows other people to do once you get used to it and more practiced, is that you can observe those thoughts and you can ignore them because it is just a thought. It isn't, thoughts aren't in the bus. You, the rational person, are driving the bus. It's like mm-hmm. having a bus full of 75 people all screaming and shouting at you. Do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. You're the one in control of driving. You don't have to pay attention to them. But for me, you know, if if I have that thought of you know, very much at all now, but, you know, we'll eat that or actually i would tell a lie. I had a thought the other day, or just put some cream in your coffee because I've stopped having cream. And I there was some in the fridge because Louise still has a little bit of cream in her coffee. And they was like, where's that thought come from? It's just a thought. I don't want to have cream. I'm not going to pay attention. I'm not going to try and push the thought away. I'm not going to fight with it and wrestle it. And it's like, okay, you carry on floating and jibber-jabbering that you want some cream in the coffee. I don't want cream in the coffee because I want to lose some more weight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for me... Meditation and practicing meditation allows me to be in control of life choice to a degree. Yeah. yeah, and I think yeah, sleep, sleep is so and stress reduction and sleep and stress reduction ties into the mindfulness meditation as well. You know, if you can reduce your stress, uh, it reduces the cortisol. Cortisol is is. See, it's in the body for a reason, you know, same as cholesterol. They have jobs to do. They're essential for us. But if they become, you know, the, if the cortisol gets out of out of whack and there's too much in the body and you're too stressed and you're stressed for a long time, it doesn't have good consequences on your body. And it, it affects your blood sugar and your cravings and your hunger. And so trying to manage your stress and get to sleep, I think that's important.
0: Yeah, definitely. And they, they all sort of link into each other, don't they? So Absolutely.
3: So by doing the
0: mindful and the meditation, even if it's only 30 seconds, which has been, I mentioned to you off has been my goal to do 30 seconds. Yeah. Even that 30 seconds of taking a few breaths allows the parasympathetic to kick in and start sending out yeah. different hormones not the cortisol yeah so just it, doing one small thing a day
2: before. yeah and they've actually found that your brain actually changes with meditation it, it sort of creates new pathways and it's just yeah very it's fascinating and you know the this been doing it for thousands of years and there's a a reason why they do it
0: yeah definitely
2: um yeah I, I i shout out so i use the uh sam harris waking up app. for the first first year I, I wasn't in a very good financial uh, situation and you could get the app for free at the time it was a hundred pounds a year but um if i don't know if they still do this but at the time you could drop them an email um, because one of the messages, like the first message on the app from Sam Harris, was look, I don't want you to miss out. If you can't afford it, pop us an email and you can have it for free for a year. I don't know if they're still doing that, but I for me it was like this guy. Yes, he's got a business to run and he wants to make money, but he's also a very considerate, kind, caring person. That you know, I did that and I've carried on. Um, You know, in a financial position now. So I recently up- upgraded my membership and I've paid for it. Um, because I can afford to thankfully, well, until the fuel hikes anyway. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, yeah, so great app. Loads of resources on there. He interviews lots and lots of different people about, you know, all sorts of different types of meditation, Buddhism, Stoicism, philosophy. Yeah. It's one of my go-to meditation, uh, places to listen to resources when I'm out walking.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fabulous. So thank you for being with us today.
2: It's been my pleasure. I've really enjoyed talking to you. And I, I, I hand on heart genuinely hope that at some point, uh, being as we are relative neighbors, that we can work together because I, I, I think we could, we could do good things in Epping Forest.
0: Definitely. We'll, yeah. we'll speak off air. Yes.
2: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. I will often schedule the podcast order even before they're recorded. So, it's only now that as I'm preparing this episode to go out that I realize that last week and this week, we have men who were both dealing with depression. G said he was suffering with long term anxiety and depression. And we often talk about bio individuality and how that we're all different, and so are our journeys. And last week, Dorian said that he started with nutrition, whereas G started with talking therapy mindfulness and meditation. So there's no right or wrong way. It's just the path that you find and and what it is that inspires you to make a change. Also within that is the one that you will do consistently. What are you going to keep doing? So don't worry how you come on this journey or how to get started. I think in a way you just got to get started and I think G's story is definitely a message of hope after long term anxiety and depression, and then to have to deal with the illness and the loss of his grandson, Mason, and add to that having to support his daughter and son in law through their pain and loss, to coming to a place where he is ready to take on the world and life. He has managed to ditch his medication and replace it with meditation. Have you noticed that there's only one letter difference? In medication and meditation. Maybe we need more meditation and less medication, as G has shown us. As I mentioned in the podcast, do let us know if you've enjoyed this episode, either on social media or through the website. If you want to join us in the Facebook group, search Fabulously Keto in Groups on Facebook and you will find us. For the show notes, Go to fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash 116. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash Fabulously and you can choose the monthly amount you wish.
1: Can you recommend a guest we can in interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation.
0: Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle fabulouslyketo1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes.
1: If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners.